0: We are on week three of a series we started called Wonderful Counselor. And so this series, uh, the title is coming from a a verse a few thousand years old in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and it was a a verse telling of the Messiah who would come and a few things that he would do. talks about how the government would be upon his shoulders, but one of the attributes that Isaiah prophesies about this coming Messiah is that he would be a wonderful counselor. That he, you know, and what does a counselor do? Well, I think a counselor does a few things. Maybe two specifically, they ask questions and they help us with perspective. And so this whole series is about questions. We're looking at the questions that Jesus asked, specifically in the book of John. But in the whole gospel, all four gospels, he asks 307 questions. And we have these books available for you if you want to take one on your way out. And it's got every question that Jesus asks in the new testament and so we're looking at four of a four-week series we started with the first miracle that jesus performed and that was that miracle really was teed up by a question you ran out of wine at a wedding jesus mom comes and asks him um you know just tells him what, that they're out of wine and he says well, what does that have to do with me and so he asked her that question and then last week we looked and, and looked at the story in, in the gospel of john of a of a person that had been had a had a problem for 38 years, was disabled, was stuck, whatever you want to call it, for 38 years, and Jesus walks up to him and asks him a really hard question. Do you do you want to get better? And then this week we're looking at our our, our third third story here, and again, these these questions that we're looking at particularly are the ones that that ended up with a miracle. You know, Jesus asked lots of questions, right? 307. But these questions that we're looking at in the Gospel of John specifically are questions that result in a miracle. And so in John chapter 6, this story, um, you may be familiar with it, maybe not. We're going we're gonna to read it together. I really love John's version of this story. This is one of the few miracles that are in all four of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have a version of this story. It's where Jesus takes a boy's lunch and he feeds 5,000. And so we have a lot of perspective on this story because we've got four versions of it. But in John, God, John's gospel, like what, the, what he's seen is a little different. And, and he gives us some, some kind of behind the scenes details of, of how this miracle took place. And, and so let's read it together. Uh, John chapter 6 says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed over to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he'd performed by healing the sick. And then Jesus went up on a mountainside. He sat down with his disciples. The Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up, he saw a great crowd coming towards him and he looked over at Philip specifically. Where are we going to buy bread for all these people to eat? You should underline that. Looks at Philip. He says, Where are we going to buy bread for all these people? He asked him this only to test him. Look at your neighbor and say, It's just a test. This <laughs> is only a test. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. So Philip answered him. He starts doing the math. It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these folks to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He says, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far is that going to go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down about 5,000 men. So that's just the men. So most, most historians, theologians believe that it was around 20,000 people. 5,000 men, and you add the women and children, there's 20,000 people. Followed them out into the desert. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they could eat. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them. They filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Incredible. I want to look at the question, though, one more time. If we could go to the question and put that up there. He asks... A specific question to philip now this story is in so it's, it's a powerful story and i really hadn't caught this until i started getting ready for for today but he asked he asked philip where shall we buy bread for these people to eat where and this is all i mean i don't know this might be the first jesus juke in the bible you know what i mean you know that is like a like a, because he's asking them where are they going to go buy food, but Jesus knew exactly I think what was about to unfold, and so it's a misleading question, right? He he's got he's got Philip thinking because and again the disciples have no category in their minds for a miracle like this water to wine was different you know they filled up the jars with water so it it actually like it existed and jesus turned the water to wine this is a little bit different right this is like five pieces of bread a couple of fish with thousands and thousands of people so they don't really have a category for this kind of miracle in their mind and and jesus almost i mean it's almost it's a it's a misleading question and, and, and I want you to see who he asks. He asks Philip. I think there's a, a specific reason why he asks him this question. But I think that this is a leadership example that we see in the life of Jesus. I don't think there was a greater leader than Jesus. And you look at the leadership gurus of our day, there's a lot of them, and, but the greatest ones, there's a common denominator, I believe, in their philosophy. It's servant leadership. They put others before themselves. It's not about how many people serve me, but it's about how many people I serve. And, and, and Jesus demonstrated this so well, y'all, because he had all the answers, right? I mean, if he was the son, the son of God, and we believe that he is, and he's omniscient, he knows everything. But he didn't give the answers. He didn't give easy answers. He asked hard questions. And he asked Philip, where, where are we going to buy food for these people? And so that one question right there, y'all, I want you to see this. It now, now Philip is participating in this miracle. Could, could Jesus just have started turning bread and multiplying bread and multiplying fish? I, I'm sure he could have. But instead, the great leader that Jesus is, we can learn something here. Knowing the answers, <laughs> knowing the future, knowing exactly what is going to happen, he still asks his team for their input. And I'm finding some of the best leaders that I've ever served with, that's the way that they coach, that's the way that they lead, right? They know exactly what's about to go down, you know, typically, right? They know exactly what they would do, but instead they don't just give the answer, they ask questions. And so here we see this, Jesus is a you know, wonderful counselor, he's asking questions, he's making Philip think, where are we going to buy food? Philip goes internal. He, he starts thinking about, okay, how, how much food are we going to have? What are we going to do? And then Andrew walks up with a little boy's lunch. And so, there, so there's the overarching miracle in this story that we, most of us know. I mean, five pieces of bread and two fish to feed 20,000 people, that's amazing. Just feeding 20,000 people is a miracle. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're getting ready for Thanksgiving. Y'all are getting geared up for Thanksgiving. You're, you're doing the numbers. You're like, I don't know. We're going to be eating like, uh, like armadillo or something this year. <laughs> Turkey prices going through the roof. We're just going to have to do what we can do. You know, like, I mean, so feeding people is hard work. But feeding hungry, angry people, like 5,000 men, 20,000 total. So Philip's doing the math and says, Jesus, it doesn't add up. And I think the other, other part is maybe Philip felt a little bit personally assaulted by that question. Almost like, like is it, is, do I got to pay for this, Jesus? Like, I don't think I can get enough Big Macs for all these people. You know, like, I mean, I, I, it, just with, with what I make, if I buy the food, it's going to be enough for every person to get one bite. We don't have the money. Andrew comes up with a different solution. And, and, and to me, this is like the, the pre-miracle, this is, the, the, this is what sets up the big miracle. This is the tea that the ball sits on, right? The ball is the big miracle. 20,000 people are fed. But let me ask you this. Have you ever tried to take food from a kid? <laughs> Anybody here, got children, right? Come on, I, I know you do. So have you ever tried to take anything from a child? So here's this boy that has this lunch and somehow... They're able to convince this, this kid that, that, that to give him his food. Now, that is like impossible. I have a five-year-old, y'all, Now, and if I take anything from him, we're have, we've got problems. I came across this. I wanted to read it to you. It's called Child Property Laws. Why is this such a miracle that this young boy gave his lunch? Well, child property laws go like this. If, it, if I like it, it's mine. If it's in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine if I had it a little while ago it's still mine if it's mine it must never appear to be yours in any way okay if, if I'm doing or building something all the pieces are mine if it, if it looks just like mine it's mine if I saw it first it's mine if you're playing with something and you put it down it automatically becomes mine if it's broken it's yours <laughs> And so this, boy, this young boy, we don't know much about him. We don't know really anything about him. He doesn't show up in the other three stories of this miracle. John includes him. But he gave up his, I mean, to a young boy, a packed lunch in the middle of the day. That's all he has. And so this incredible, huge miracle hinges on the generosity of a young kid. That at the heart of this miracle, you know, Jesus is, is asked this question of Philip. Philip's thinking, how are we going to buy food? Who's going to cater it? Where are we going to get enough bread? You know, he's thinking completely logistical. And Jesus is saying, no, I want to do this a different way. So really quick, I want to I just give you a few things on, you know, what if this young man, let's just call him little Johnny. What if little Johnny decided that mama made his lunch that day and he's not sharing it? What if little Johnny decided, I'm the only person in this desert that has food? Y'all are just out of luck. What if little Johnny decided to start a a, a brown bag um, um, little uh, food truck? You know what I'm saying? I said, well, I I got what you need here, and I'm not going to just give it to you. I'll sell you some. I want to give you a few things. I, I call them steps to stingy. Why do we become stingy, right? I think the the first step to become stingy, if you want to be a a stingy person, if you came to church to learn how to be stingy, I'm going to give it to you. All right, first thing, just stop being thankful for what you do have. Just take everything for granted. People, places, things, the job you have, the car you drive, the house you live in, the clothes you got on. Just, Just start taking, just stop being thankful for all the good stuff you have in your life. And then what will begin to happen is you're going to find you got less and less and less and less. And I think the first step to becoming a stingy person is just to do that right there. You know, not not to. You know, I don't think the devil has to distract us. I don't think the devil has to to do anything. I think the biggest thing, the biggest weapon the enemy has, is to just get us to take for granted the people, places, and things, the blessings that we have in our life. I mean, it is so easy to do. And I find in my life that when I stop being thankful, I'm just not a pleasant person to be around. I mean, my whole demeanor changes, right? If I just focus on, on the lack or if I focus on the stuff I don't have. And so if, if you want to be stingy, just stop being thankful. But the second thing, if, you, if you're really, I know that you came to hear this this morning. Yeah, the second reason I, I think that we become stingy is we just start playing the comparison game. Right? I mean, I have 10, but my neighbor's got 20. I mean, I got, this, I got the 20-foot boat, but he's got the 25-foot model. And what begins to happen when we start taking the blessings that God has given us in our life and comparing them to other people or what other people have, immediately we take it for granted. Or immediately we want to hold on or we feel like we're being left out or we don't have enough to share because they have more right? It's never been easier to, to, to read and, and hear about the lifestyle of the rich and famous right now. I feel like there's, you know, there's whole magazines dedicated to it and, and these billionaires and they got, you know, way wealthier last year and we, we, and they are all got this infatuation with space right now. I don't know why. Maybe they came from there. I don't know. But, uh, but, but anyways, it, it, every time I read stuff like that, you know, for me, I, it, it tends to just, you look at what's in front of you and you think, well, I don't, I don't have that. And when we compare, and social media is so good at this, right? You get on there, and you get to see everybody's highlight reel from, the, you know, from their day or their week. And, and I think there's no way to not look at it and start comparing what you've got going on in your life and what you have with other people. And so when we play this comparison game, I, I think what begins to happen is, is, is we tend to have less in our life. We give less because we feel like we're being left out. Craig Rochelle, he's a pastor of one of the largest churches in the U.S., he says it like this, the fastest way to kill something special in your life is to compare it to something else. Once you compare yourself or what you have to someone else, you either deem yourself superior or inferior, neither of which are pleasing to God. And so we, we, we want to stay thankful. We don't want to compare what we have to others, but I think the quickest way to get stingy, to live close-fisted, is to just forget who your true source really is. Because I think there's a there's a tendency in in our culture to wanna to wanna live with this mentality that that I'm a, I'm a self-made person, right? Everything I have in my life, I worked for it, and that's I think that's partially true. And I think God is all about hard work, I believe. I think it's, it's a part of who we are, that we should work hard, that we should give our all, do all things as unto the Lord, as Paul says, that, that whatever I do, I want to give it 100%. But I think the other side of that coin is that hard work will never, you'll never outwork the blessing and the generosity of God. And we get into a bad headspace when we live and we think that everything that comes into our life, we've earned it. And we forget that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. And that part of, the, part of the process is we work hard and part of the process is we give it our 100%. But I think the other side of that is there's a God who gives. There's a God who at the heart of who he is, he's generous. He's generous. And when we look at this world that he created, we know it's a generous, he's a generous God. I mean, he put stars in the in the sky for us to enjoy. I mean, there's beautiful flowers on the backside of mountains that no one ever sees. Why? Because God is just generous. He's just generous. He has more than enough and he gives out of surplus. I think there's this habit or or this tendency to want to feel like life is zero sum, right? That that there's ten total, and if I take one, it's got to come from you. But I don't think life is zero-sum. I think that we serve a God who is abundant. We serve a God who can create. He can make things out of nothing. And when we forget that he's our true source, I think what happens is we start to put the whole weight of our world on ourselves. That if the bills get paid, it's because I get up and go to work. If we have insurance, it's because I make it happen. If we have a car to drive, we have gas to put in it, if we have food on the table... It, it it all depends on me 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 and i and I, I think if we get into that mode too much what begins to happen is we just get anxious i think we get stressed out like sometimes we got to take a step back and realize that okay i'm going to work like it depends on me but i know that god is in control of everything and i know that one moment of favor is worth a thousand years of labor and so instead of working hard hard hard, I, I sometimes we got to step back and say, "Okay, Lord, I, I, are you blessing what I'm doing?" <laughs> Cuz that's the real key. Cuz you know, if God is blessing what I'm doing, then I know it's 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 we're in partnership here. I'm working, but God is continuing to bless that it's not just solely on on my shoulders. And so the, the steps to stingy, right? We just take for granted what we have. We stop being thankful we compare what we have to others and then we, we forget we forget who our true source is and i think that's where philip went we know two we got two responses from jesus two responses he asks, where are we going to get this food philip starts crunching the numbers i think philip's probably a, a you know he's a numbers guy he starts he starts focusing on what they do not have he has a, a detailed list of everything that they're going to need, right, to, to feed those people. And he comes to Jesus, he says, it doesn't add up. It's, it, you know, he's more the logistical. Andrew comes in, he, I, you know, Andrew comes in and he's like, I, I got a wing and a prayer here, Jesus. I got this little kid and I got his lunch. We're in the middle of nowhere. You know, according to historians, the city that all these folks came out of was 50,000 people total. So half of the city is followed him out into this desert. 20,000 people. And I almost see with Philip and Andrew, it's kind of two perspectives, two approaches to life. When we come to a point in our life where we don't have enough. We can focus on what we don't have. We can be detailed on that. We can be so determined on what we don't have that we miss the sight of what we do have. And Angie walks up with this little lunch that doesn't seem like anything can happen here. But this is the key. A lot, a little, becomes a lot when we give it to God. And I think that this happens over and over in our lives, whether we want it to happen or not. That we come to a point of, of lack or we come to a point where we really need God to work a miracle or we really need God to do something or God has put a burden on us that we don't have the resources to fix. Philip wants to feed these people, but he doesn't have the money. Half of his year's salary could only give everybody a bite, right? So there's this struggle here. I think what Andrew does and this, little, this young, little Johnny with his lunch sets the stage for this miracle to take place. And we can live our life, we can live most of our life focusing on what we don't have. We can live most of our life focusing on the resources that we don't have. We can, we can live most of our life focusing on, on the things that aren't there. But I want to tell you, if you walk by faith, and I believe this is how God wants us to walk, that, that we're, we're, we're optimistic. I think Andrew was an optimist. I think Andrew's seen the need, and he knew that it was about impossible for this to happen. But, he, but if he could just get this young boy to the, to the feet of Jesus, maybe Jesus could do something with this. And this miracle begins to unfold. And the pre-miracle is that little Johnny gave his lunch. The big miracle in the middle, they all ate. But then there's this little caveat at the end that I want us to see. Because if I'm reading this story right, Jesus can make bread, right? He's a bread maker, y'all. Okay, he can make paper. Come on, somebody. He, he, can, he, can, he can create bread. He took five loaves and fed at least 5,000. Why would he care about the leftovers? Have you wondered that? He asked the disciples to put them all in baskets he says, don't let anything be wasted. If I can make bread, why do I care about a few baskets of bread? If I can make bread, I mean, if, it's, if I'm in the bread-making business and I've got a surplus in supply of bread, and I think Jesus is showing us something here, that there's a miracle in what most people will discard. And in this country, and most people that I'm talking to right here, I know this you may not feel rich but you are <laughs> if you make around 35 45 thousand dollars a year combined income so two of you you're in the top one percent earners in the world in the world Gallup did a poll one time they asked how much money do you have to have to be rich the average answer was like 75 thousand dollars a year if I, if I if i if i made that i would be rich and so then they asked people that made $75,000 a year, and their answer was $150,000, double what I make, and then I'm rich. And then they asked another group that is subscribers to Money Magazine, you know, so people that have a lot of it, and they asked them, how much do you got to have to be rich? Well, they said, I mean, you got to make at least $5 million a year to be rich. And I think the moral of the story here is nobody thinks they're rich, but we all know somebody who is but I came to tell you this morning that you are rich. And there's miracles in what you discard. I don't think God is into wasting anything. I don't think he wastes anything. I, even though he can, he can create more, right? He's the God of, 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 of more than enough. We see the way that he works, and I, I, don't, think that he's, I don't think that he's wasteful. And this is one thing I never seen on this miracle. Why would it even matter? Why does twelve baskets matter when you can feed twenty thousand people just by breaking the bread? Why does it matter? I think it matters because there's a principle in this that maybe, maybe there's a miracle in your leftovers and what you don't need. And what you have more than enough of. You say, Well, preacher, I don't have much money. Okay, that's fine. How about time? Do you have any extra time? well I don't have money or time but I have I have experience I have some wisdom what do you have too much of in your life and what do you do with the surplus do we build bigger barns get more storage I'm preaching to the choir I know it's getting quiet see rich people do things like upgrade you know they they, they they like rich people have like rooms in their house for their clothes like a whole room in their house for, cl- for clothes. The Rich people have so much stuff, they got to buy other buildings and put stuff in it. I'm stepping on toes this morning. I know. But you got to ask yourself, what's the more for in my life? And if you don't have more, you can't see it, you're not looking hard enough. Because everybody in here is blessed. You've got something in your life that God, and and that's the key to giving, y'all. I mean, that's the key to generosity. And I think we see this with God is is, is God wants you to have more than you need. Not so that you can build bigger houses or get more stuff. He wants you to be able to bless people. And you can't bless anyone if you, right, if you're kind of living in this scarcity mindset. Or or what has happened now in the last 18 months is it's just a survival mindset like am i gonna am i gonna have like is there gonna be groceries on the shelves next week like, like it's easy to slip into this mode and then we just we just we just live like this in this miracle we wouldn't be talking about it we wouldn't be talking about little johnny if little johnny wasn't willing to live like this if he wasn't willing to live open-handed and i want to just give you a few things what does it mean to give i think giving is at the heart of, the, of, of who we are as believers. I don't think there should be such a thing as a stingy Christian, right? I mean, John 3, 16, we all know this verse. What's the heart of the gospel? God so loved the world, what did he do? He gave. And so I think, number one, what does it mean when I give? When I, when I place things into the hands of God, when I give back, giving is trusting, that's what that means. That's the principle of giving. That's why it's so important that you give, because it's it's saying, Lord, I'm trusting you, that there's more more where that came from. Right? I, I, I'm trusting you, God. I'm giving you. I, I'm I'm giving back to you because I I know that it all comes from you, and so giving is just a form of of trusting. And when we get, I know me, when I get into a bad head space or I start getting anxious or I start getting worried about the future or about bills or about things like that, that, that maybe, maybe I'm not trusting God fully. Personally, I, I, I mean, I, there was a hole in the bucket for me until I began giving. You know, the church that I became a Christian in, I was raised Catholic and, and got out of church for a while and then started going to a, a, a church in Pace. And, and we got a, a nice, like... Like giving sermon every Sunday, <laughs> you know, the, the the sermon before the sermon, and 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 there's a reason for that. I, I believe it's not because they want something from, from, they didn't want something from me. The pastor wanted something for me. He knew that that if 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 there, if I was complete, you know, the Dead Sea. This is interesting. You know why the Dead Sea's dead? It has inflow. It it doesn't have any outflow. But, and this, this is this is a principle that's universal. And it's not just with stuff. We're talking about bread this morning. The, the, the whole miracle hinged on this young boy being willing to give. Little Johnny gave. Where in your life are you giving and not expecting anything in return? That's the key. That's the, the heart of a generous person. I think the heart of God is he blesses. He says, I... I the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow. What does that mean? He's not going to give you a, a letter the week after and say, okay, well, this is where all this is earmarked for. I gave you this gift, but I need, right? It's, it's generous. It's, it's, it leaves my hands. I trust you with it. Be blessed. I'm not doing enough of that. I think what begins to happen in our life, the more that we do that, the more that we want to do that. The more that we give, you know, it's like when God blesses our life, it's not so we can, you know, use it more on ourselves. It's because he has somebody else in mind. The 12 baskets. When we read the story, Jesus doesn't say, hey, load these baskets up, boys, we're going to take it on the road for us. I really think that these 12 baskets... I've heard it multiple different ways. I've heard it was for the disciples, right? Twelve disciples, they each get a basket. Maybe little Johnny got to go home and tell his mom, Hey, I started with five loaves of two fish. I, can't, I doubled it, Mom. You know what I'm saying? I, made, I did, some, did some work on the playground today. I got, I got more than what I left home with. I, don't th- I think that Jesus was concerned about the people who were not there. He always was. Yes, there was a big crowd there. Yes, there was 20,000 people there. But Jesus tended to go to the people on, on the edge. Jesus tended to go, He would go to the people who were hurting the most. Jesus tended to, to remember and remind everyone about the people who weren't there, who weren't in the room. And so the more in our life that we typically have is because somebody needs that more. That God has blessed you with more than you need because you're going to be the miracle for somebody else. And I know this story. I mean, we were talking about miracles in our own lives. And I I would love, I I mean, I want to see miracles in my life. But let me ask you this question. Would you want to be a catalyst for a miracle? Would you want to be the reason that somebody sees the the miracle of God in their life? I wish I I got stories I could tell. I got so many stories, y'all. I mean, my truck broke down one time. Somebody gave me a truck. You know, I was like 20 years old. My tr- I, I was like, in, I mean, my, that truck was everything for me. Like, I had all my stuff was in this Jeep Cherokee Laredo that my mom gave me. And I basically lived in this thing. <laughs> it broke down. I know what I was going to do. This was, this was when I started taking the whole giving thing seriously. And, um, and, you know, the church I was going to. Anyway, somebody gave me a truck, y'all. It was crazy. But I believe, I believe it was because this principle where I, I, when I open my life up to the generosity of God by acting on it, I begin to see things that I've never seen before. So giving is trusting. The second thing giving does is it keeps greed in check. It reminds me what the more is for. When the tendency comes to build bigger and build better and build more, that more is not always good. <laughs> Like, like more houses and more stuff and more cars is not always a blessing. And so it, it keeps the greed in check. It, it keeps, this is, I think, let me read this to you a second. Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. You're going to be made rich in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. That's what the more is for. It keeps it. The, and then the last thing, and this is, this is what we're going to close and take communion is that the giving, when I give back to God, when I become a generous giver, and I, I know most people want you know, well, how much should I give, Pastor? I think that that's something that you should ask God about. And that's what I encourage people to do. Everybody should give something. If it's a dollar or ten dollars, I, I mean it's it's just something when God brings it into your life, there needs to be somewhere where you are flowing that into somebody else's life. And don't even be, don't do it here. Man of food pantry, United Way, Salvation Army, uh, waterfront mission you know th- there's all these incredible places where where if you've got too much you can bless somebody else with it. And when we start living this way it's like it almost becomes a game. <laughs> And I was, I was like second semester, I was going to PJC, and I remember this, this student that was in my public speaking class with me, the one that I flunked out of. <laughs> Seriously, I dropped that class because I was horrible at it, at public speaking. I'm, that, yeah, <laughs> but I'll never forget, he knew I was a Christian, and he said, you know what, Nathan? You can't outgive God. I said, what do you mean? And he started telling me about what he was doing. He was like, man, I've given away cars, I gave away like, I, gave away, I was like, well, man, won't you give me a car, bro? You know what I'm saying? No, no but, but anyways, he just started talking about giving. And so I said, I'm going to try this out. I'm, I'm going to try this out. I gave away a surfboard. I got one back, right? Better. I gave away a watch. And I liked it a lot. You know, like, but I, I'm not saying just to give stuff away. But I, asked, I started asking God, Lord, who, who can I bless today? I've got two. I mean, I've got. I can only wear one watch at a time. I got two, right? I can only surf on one board at a time. I got thirteen now. Uh, you know, <laughs> so, yeah, y'all laugh. I'm serious. I said, uh, what, what am I going to do with all this stuff? God started putting it on. Give, give, give to this person. Give to that person. Do this. Do that. And it's amazing how it's like a boomerang. It's like the the more that I would try to give. The more it came back, and, and I think this generosity giving reminds us that as Jesus was giving that bread, he was taking the bread, and this is what he did with it. He gave thanks. That Greek word is eucharist. It's where we get the English word Eucharist. He gave thanks. He broke the bread, and it kept. And then he had more. The more as he would give, he would have more. As he would give, he would have more. And giving reminds me that I cannot outgive God. And that the more that I give, the more, it's like a funnel. That as, as I, if God can get it through me, he'll get it to me. It's the law of measures. Let me read this to you and then we're going to pray. Luke chapter 6, give and it's going to be given to you. How? How? the same way that you give. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be poured into your lap. And I want you to catch this. From from the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. So the same spoon that you use when you're scooping that Thanksgiving dinner for everybody, God's saying, that's the same size spoon I'm gonna use in your life. And the people that I love the most, that are that are doing it right, I believe, they're not. Try, they're trying to make more money so they can give more money. They're trying to live off a of 20% and give 80. It's insane. Mark Batterson, pastor at National Community Church, a lot of what we're doing here has has his vision has come from his books. They have a coffee shop in Washington D.C. called Ebenezer's. They give a million dollars away to missions every year from a for-profit coffee shop. And think people are just tired of going to work. I think people are just tired to, of working a job just for the money. No matter what you do, if that's what's motivating you, it's not enough. But when you know that you're helping someone, when you know that God is blessing your life, and the work that you're doing has the potential to change the lives of so many people, when you're able to just give it, now that makes a difference. And so this is what I want us to do. If we will grab, you you should have some communion cups right in front of you. And I want to take communion today because in this story, the blessing, you know, I don't know where the miracle happened. I don't know if it was when the boy gave his lunch to Jesus and then it turned into this big spread. But I have to believe that the miracle happened as Jesus was giving thanks, Eucharist. That as Jesus was being thankful and grateful, it was like the fish and the bread kept multiplying. In this story, I can't imagine what the crowd was like. 5,000 hungry people, (laughs) right? right. 5,000 hungry, probably hangry people. And I think there's two things that happen when we don't eat communion it's it's spiritual meat communion is how we feed our souls when we come to the table it was a physical table in the upper room but there was way more happening than a physical meal it was it was it was for their soul it was for their spirit it was it was it was nutrients for their soul for their inner person and i know me physically when i don't eat i get tired and I get angry and I think spiritually when we're not in communion when we're not partaking of what is communion it's just Jesus said remember me it's taking a moment like this to just forget about everything you got going on next week forget about everything you got to do this afternoon you're probably thinking about brunch right now maybe some crab cake benedicts I don't know just stop thinking about that for just a second I want you to think about how blessed that you are in God. I want you to think about this most simple verse in all of Scripture that's probably the most popular, John three sixteen, And I want you to think about how much God loves you that he gave. And I'm finding that when we appreciate in our life, whatever we appreciate, appreciates. We have more of it. And whatever we don't appreciate, it depreciates. We have less of it. And so before we take this, I just want you to, if you would just close your eyes right now, just for a moment, and I want you to just think about all the blessings that God has poured into your life. Think about the gift of salvation. Think about the gift of his Holy Spirit that's moving right now, that's in your life. Not only is the Holy Spirit with you, he's in you. Think about the gift of heaven. Think about what that's going to be like, that that in this, this temporary habitation called our bodies, we're just passing through this world. We're heading somewhere. That Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. But then I want you to think about what it costs for us to have this moment right here. Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. He knew where he was going. He knew that the the wine and the bread was not just any regular wine or bread, that it represented his body that was about to be broken. It represented his blood that was about to be spilled. And it represented the generosity of God. That if it wasn't for this gift, we would have nothing to stand on. If it wasn't for the gift that he's given all of us, we would be in the dark. So Lord, we thank you for your body. We thank you that it was broken for us. We thank you that in Isaiah 53, you say with your stripes, with your broken body, we are healed. And I just pray that as we take this bread together, if there's anything in your life that's broken right now, it's a relationship, Maybe it's something in your body, physically. It's just not working the way it needs to work. He says, I was broken so that I could put your life together to try to help make sense of the brokenness that we all have. And so, Lord, we remember you. We remember your broken body in this moment. We thank you so much. In Jesus' name, you can take the bread. And then he took the cup. He said, this cup... It's not just any ordinary juice. He said this represents the new covenant. This represents my passion. It represents how much I truly love you. It represents what I'm willing to face and go through. And I know we all know this and we've heard the story, but it's when we come to the table it's like God makes it real again. It says when we come to the table together and we and we pause and we remember him we can apply it to our lives in the areas that we need it. So Father, we thank you for this cup. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your sacrifice. We know that there's still healing in this in this cup. There's, there's, there's healing for our minds. There's healing for our bodies. There's, there's healings for relationship. Lord, we believe that you're a God who heals. We believe that you're a God who works miracles. We believe that you're a God who can be trusted with our lives and with our our five pieces of bread and two fish, all of it. You can be trusted with all of it. So Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, you can take the cup.